0: The following message is brought to you by Charles L. King, Jr., pastor of First Baptist Church, West College Hill. If you need additional information, visit firstbaptistchurchwch.org.
1: Even at a little bit after 11, somebody's already dealing with some heaviness in their spirits and on their minds. But thanks be to God. That even when we don't feel like praising, we know that our God is worthy of our praise. Turn with me now to Psalm 73. I believe even as we have opened up with a high praise, the Lord has a word that he needs to speak to somebody. I don't know if you're here in the sanctuary. I don't know if you're here online with us right now. I don't know if you're somebody who even will be listening to us at some point during the week. But God has sent me here. He has me standing today to speak a word just to and for you. Turn with me to Psalm 73, Psalm 73. I'm actually going to preach through the entire psalm. And while I won't read the entire psalm, I want to read a significant number of verses. So I'm going to ask that you indulge me because I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. As always, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open, to follow along in the text, as well as to reference any other scriptures that the Holy Spirit has led me to use in support of the message. The people are already standing here in the sanctuary. I invite each and every one of you online to stand with us as well for the reading of the word. And we do that according to the word of God. For in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 5, it says that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then in Ezra verse 6, it says that Ezra blessed the Lord. And, through that, and after that, the people answered amen and amen. And therefore, when the word goes forth, there ought to be some amens. Come on, somebody. Not only here uh, in the worship service, in the sanctuary, but certainly even online. Amen. Psalm 73, Psalm 73, verses 1 through 17, the NIV, it says, surely... God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Wait a minute. Asaph said, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he said my my feet had almost slipped. He says, I was envying the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. So on this second Sunday of April, April the 11th, 2021, with your prayers and by the aid of the Holy Spirit, we want to consider this as our subject. Listen, I I was... Glad to be back in the pulpit last Sunday. I really was. I was excited. It was an exciting time. And we all knew what the message was going to be. There was no other choice. We knew we had to talk about the fact that our God had risen. It was Easter and Resurrection Sunday. So there were hype services all over the world. I was hyped to be back. But even after you've had a high, your feet have to come back down to the ground. And God has said, I need you on this Sunday to speak into the heart of my children. Don't just talk about me. I need you to speak and pierce the hearts of some conviction Because my people are going through some things. So with your prayers and by the aid of the Holy Spirit, we want to consider this as our subject. Dealing with the temptation of doubt as a child of God. That's talking to somebody. Don't care how high you float on a Sunday. It's that Monday through Saturday stuff that we got to deal with. Repeat this prayer after me. Father, open my eyes so I can see your truth. Open my ears so I can hear your voice. Open my mind so I can understand your word. And open my heart so that I may receive All that you have for me, that is for me, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God, dealing with the temptation of doubt, wait a minute, as a child of God. My brothers and my sisters, today I want to deal with something that we all have either had to face, or at some time we will have to face, And that is the temptation of doubt. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been to the point when you find yourself struggling, not with right and wrong, not with good or bad, but struggling with what you have been taught and what you believe in your heart, versus what you are experiencing in your life. I mean, you do what the Bible says. You are faithful. You pay your tithes. You read your Bible. You pray, yet you find yourself struggling. Oh, you try to carry on as though everything is fine. But down, deep down, on the inside, There is a war that is raging, and you know that something is off a bit. You've noticed that your passion for God has started to dwindle. You're beginning to lose your desire to be in the Word and to pray. You become impatient, cynical, hard and difficult, not just to live with but to even be around and you just don't care as much about the things of God. Now, if you feel this way, or you might be fighting against feeling this way, then this message is just for you. Even if you haven't felt this way, then this is still for you. Because guess what? You still got some living to do. Because someday, maybe more than likely, You will experience that kind of feeling. You need to know what to do and how to handle that kind of temptation. Now, understand, if you're taking notes, write this down, because understand that this feeling does not mean that you've lost your salvation. Lord, teach in this house. You are, however, tempted, and you need to know how to fight against this temptation or else you will find yourself falling deep into a chasm with a total loss of faith sometimes we all often wonder why is it so hard to do right someone under the sound of my voice is thinking the closer i try to get to jesus the more it seems like I suffer. For somebody else, you find yourself saying, my life has been so hard, so painful already. I've had all about all I can take, and sometimes I just can't take anymore. Well, the Lord has me standing today to encourage your hearts to speak something into your minds and your spirits that will help you during this temptation of doubt and to seek the heart of God. If you're taking notes still, write this down. Because there is a difference between unbelief and doubt. Teach Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. You see, unbelief is when people willfully set themselves against Biblical teachings. They choose not to believe. John chapter 12, verse 37 says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not him. Doubt, however, is when people have an intellectual, come on somebody, or an emotional barrier to a more solid faith, in a biblical teaching of God. They want to believe, but they just need some help to get them to believe beyond where they are. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 27 illustrates this. When the father of the demonic possessed son, he looked to Jesus to cure his son. And he says to Jesus, honestly, he says, Lord, I believe. But help thou mine unbelief. The father acknowledges that though he has faith, speak Holy Ghost, he is struggling with some doubts. But watch this. Jesus still honored that man's faith. He still honored that father's faith. And he healed his son. You see... We've often, we've often been taught that you cannot have faith and doubt. Good God Almighty. But yet this verse or those verses clearly show the presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. What is important is what you do with and how you handle your doubt. I believe in times of desperation, in times of tragedy, in times of death, seemingly unbearable circumstances, that God understands our sudden outbursts and doubt filled questions when we ask God. Why did you allow this to happen to me? Why did you allow this to happen to our family? Why did you allow this to happen to our household, our church, our community? But understand, God is not intimidated by your questions. Why not? Because even Jesus Christ himself, while on Calvary's cross, he cried, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But Jesus, even in his overwhelming pain and suffering, he did not allow his grief to take root. Instead, he allowed the Holy Spirit to console him. And in his most trying hour, he turned his life and future over into his Father's hands. Luke 23:46 says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You see, my brothers and my sisters, that is the key during our own personal crisis, that we cannot allow doubt. I didn't say we couldn't have doubt, but you can't allow doubt to take root. Here in our text, this psalm was was written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was a mature, godly man who served on the praise and worship leader team, and he served in the temple, and he's the author, believe it or not, of 12 different psalms. He was used greatly by God. As a prophet is seen, when you have time, read Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 30. He was also a fruitful man and that his children also walked with God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1, again, when you have time, it records that Asaph's sons participated in conducting the choir that sung at the temple dedication. Yet, in spite of all of that, there's some folk who even see some folk, they see them doing well on the outside. They see them bringing the children to church, and they say, they got it going on. But even with all of that, Asaph almost walked away from God. Why? Because his perception of reality had become so messed up. Don't be fooled by the fact that on last Sunday you put on your Easter Sunday best. Don't be fooled that we get all dressed up on Sunday but we sit in church messed up on the inside. Here in Psalm 73, Asaph asks the questions that many of us have asked at one time or another. He says if God is supposed to bless believers, why do we struggle as severely and as often as we do? Why does it seem like we're the ones who are always sick in our bodies and struggling with our health? We're always the ones, it seems, in the whole, and behind in our finances. Our homes are broken, relationships in turmoil. And every time you look around, somebody else has passed on, while the unbelievers around us seem to enjoy prosperity. Simply stated, while the wicked seemingly so successful, while the righteous seem to be suffering. Now, watch this now. You got your—you didn't close your mind, was it, did you? Asaph begins, watch this, Brother Brad. He begins with an introduction, a summary statement, and a the theological conclusion all wrapped up in verse 1. Can I teach in this house? i say it again. And right here in verse 1, Asaph begins, watch this, Watch this now, Keeling. He, he begins with an introduction, a summary statement, and a theological conclusion all wrapped up in verse 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. In other words, Asaph is stating the universal Premise and proclamation that all believers like to shout. You didn't have to go to seminary to shout this that God is good all the time. And there you go. Y'all get y'all diploma. You got y'all degree. Listen, we all done said God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. The word surely has the idea of exclusivity. That simply means that no matter what happens, God and God alone is good. But you know how we do. God is good all the time. And just like, you know, parrots, we we repeat, and all the time... God is good. Watch this. So Asaph makes that declaration. But then in the very next verse, just like somebody been in church shouting for about one, two hours. And as soon as they get barely to the parking lot. In the next verse, watch this, not just anybody, I ain't talking about a non-believer, this Levite, this man of God, this member of the praise team, he says, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So why does Asaph feel this way? Why does he make such a statement of this? Because Asaph is going through some stuff. And he feels that at this point in his relationship with God, he's trying to figure out, why am I still suffering like this? By now, I should be past some of this stuff. Not sins. He's talking about suffering. I mean, he sings on the praise team. He's a Levite, responsible for certain things in the tabernacle. He helps with the sacrifices and offerings, yet he is struggling. I'm talking to somebody. Because then in verses 3 through 10, Asaph states, it's going to say it through quickly. He says, for I envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, they have no struggles. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. They clothe themselves with violence. From the callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Oh, God, them sounds like 2021. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression, teach Holy Ghost. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up with waters in abundance. In other words, as Asaph began to look around, all he saw was wicked people prospering with great wealth. People who apparently lived without pain, enjoyed the the high life, come on somebody, living in the lap of luxury, with an abundance of material blessings, having all they could ever want or need, yet the pure-hearted, the dedicated, church-going man of God was being tempted by the devil with doubt. And in his mind, he just couldn't understand it. The devil was beginning to place Thoughts in his minds, and he was beginning to think within himself, maybe you have felt that way too. I mean, look at all this foolishness. They don't pray. They reject the word. They neglect the Lord's commands, and yet they aren't as plagued as other people are. Psalm 73, 73, 5 says, They're free from common human burdens. The wicked are not as plagued as I am. That's the way some of us talk. They only do evil, and yet they prosper. And somebody's saying, yet i deny myself. They grow rich and prosperous while I'm weak with sorrow. Yet again, in verse 4, it says, they have no struggles. I'm preaching to some real folk in this house. I mean, let me just get real, just real down and dirty and honest, Brother Greg. I mean, has some of you ever wondered why it seems like blessings are heaped on people who live like devils? Come on, somebody. Come on, I'm just being honest. Or maybe you've wondered how your unconverted neighbor could ever afford his or her expensive cars and new furniture. Meanwhile, you work hard at your job as unto the Lord. You pay your tithes, you study the word of God, you give to the needy, and you're trying to figure out how to stretch a dollar. Verse 14 says, all day long I've been afflicted. And every morning, he ain't quoting lamentations with brand new mercies. He's saying every morning brings new punishments. And at the end of verse 14, Asaph is filled with turmoil, confusion, and despondency. So what begins as envy in verses 2 and 3 results in agonizing self-doubt. And at this point, Asaph was tempted to revert back to his old life. Watch it, somebody. I don't know who you are. Be careful. He was tempted to revert back to his old life or the life he was seeing around him as opposed to the godly life. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been there. Sometimes when we feel like our work is not appreciated or it makes little difference in the world, we can start feeling like our service for the Lord is in vain. Perhaps because we see no physical evidence. And in his frustration, Asaph, watch this, begins applauding the life of the ungodly and actually running towards it with enthusiasm. But, but let me say something, and don't I don't want you to miss this because my brothers and my sisters want this, the very ones that we may be wanting to join, the very ones we may be wanting to imitate, the very ones we may be wanting to be just like are the very ones that God is sending us to go rescue. In other words, envy is the enemy of evangelism. You can't be envious of somebody and talk to them with a word of conviction and you trying to connect and be their friend. He kept running, and he kept running from God, and he was running back towards the world, watch this, until he once again came into the presence of the Most High God. For in the presence of God, he began to understand what he was running from. And he saw clearly his final state if he ran either with God or if he ran with the world. This happens when he went into the sanctuary where God always meets his people. You see, when he came into God's presence, he began to see where the ungodly were actually running to. He he says in verse 17, he says, Then I understood their end. Then I understood their final destiny. His conclusion is similar to that of King David, who shared the same frustration in the 37th Psalm. Teach, holy Ghost. David concluded that we should not fret over evildoers because they would be cut off and cut down become like the chaff, which the wind would drive away. Asaph then began to shift from natural, carnal thinking to spiritual thinking. The problem was that he had been thinking like a natural man. In other words, he was thinking within the limits of this life alone, considering only the visible things of this earth. Thus, he had gotten himself all worked up, Miss Monique, into a terrible state of a frenzy. But now in the sanctuary, I'm going to teach that in a minute, in the sanctuary, in the presence of God, he began to think about the goodness of God. What's that song we used to sing? When I think about his goodness and all he's done for me, when I think about his goodness and how he's set me free. What? I can what? Come on, somebody. Dance, 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 dance all night. Listen, let me wrap this thing up as I get ready to close. Let me see if I can get you to see this psalm this way. Watch this. I'm going to say it quickly, but take the note. In verses 2 through 16, the focus is on self. But in verses 17 through 28, the focus is on God. In verses 2 through 16, Asaph was locked in to the present. But in verses 17 through 28, he's longing for the future. In verses 2 through 16, Asaph seems to be slipping away. But in verses 17 through 28, he has a feeling of security forever. In verses 2 through 16, he is rocked by envy. But in 17 through 28, he is ready for evangelism. What is it then that changes everything for Asaph? Well, it's the same thing that would transform from your perspective and mine. It's that of worship. Verse 17 is a hinge point in this psalm. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their destiny. The message translates it like this. Then I understood the whole picture. You see, when we just look at those around us, when we judge God according to our own experiences, we can never have the whole picture. Everything is put into proper perspective when we go into the presence Of God. The prosperity of the wicked had filled up Asaph's vision. But from verse 17 to the end of the psalm, God Himself, the God of the sanctuary, becomes Asaph's focal point. Listen, we don't even have to make a pilgrimage to a special spot in order to enter into the holy place. I believe, if nothing else, that's what the pandemic has proven and has shown each and every one of us. I'm glad to be back in the house. I'm glad to have the doors open. I'm glad to have people back inside the house. But it does not take away those who are even worshiping online The point is, is, it's just simply important to have some place where you can meet with God and gain your perspective again and get your footing back. If we don't spend enough quality time with God, we will default. Back to our human perspective. We will end up becoming jealous and bitter and envious. But when we get into the presence of God, we're reminded of his attributes. We're reminded of his character. Isn't it amazing that we are Googling and YouTubing and re-watching TikToks imitating folk who can't get you to heaven we got the dances down huh y'all know got it down can sing songs with your eyes closed sing it better than the original artists but be careful because we are sometimes mimicking and getting too comfortable in the wrong character. We're sometimes mimicking and getting too close to the wrong attributes. But when you get into the presence of God, you remember his character, his attributes, and wait a minute, his power. We see both God's judgment of sin as well as his solution that he's offered sinners. Come on, choir. It was only in the sanctuary of God that Asaph could understand the shaky predicament of the wicked and the sweetness of God's grace and mercy in his own life. The mysteries of life only make sense in the presence of the holy, majestic, omnipotent God. So if you find yourself doubting, and I don't know who you are, but this is real talk. If you find yourself doubting, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You just need to find out how to deal with it. Get into the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thine presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures for evermore. Dealing with the temptation of doubt as a child of God. To God be the glory. To God
0: be the praise. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church, West College Hill. If this word inspired you, please consider sharing it. We ask that you do not alter the content without permission. We invite you to First Baptist Church WCH.org. Inquiries can be submitted at info at First Baptist Church WCH.org. Our mailing address is 6210 Betts Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio 45224. Or you can call our offices at 513 681 1011. First Baptist Church, West College Hill, reaching the world without sacrificing the message. First Baptist Church, West College Hill, reaching the world without sacrificing the message.